welcome to another episode of Acts of the Blood God, an independent RPG podcast. I am your host, Kathy Lee, and joining me as always, my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Hello, Kat. I'm glad to see you survive the deluge of, of chatter and noise that is GDC. Also joining me is Eric Van Allen. I'm jealous you got to return to live events already. We're not going to have this until PAX East. Next month. Yeah. Yeah. I've been to two live events now, and I might have gotten COVID from one of them. We'll see. (laughs) I hope not. (laughs) You mean you are not sure, or you're paranoid, or you think you? Oh, I'm totally paranoid. There's already been a COVID outbreak at GDC. It was great. Of course, there fucking has. Christ. Well, I COVID or not, I'm back here to record an Axe of Blood God with all of you, and this week we'll be talking about The Witcher Four being announced. The Colossal Cave remake by Roberta Williams, and we'll be taking your questions. We'll be getting to that in a moment. For first, if you enjoy the show, thank you very much. Go ahead and please leave a message on your podcatcher of your choice. It brightens your day and it helps the visibility of the show. You can follow me on Twitter at the underscore catbot. Nadia is at Nadia Oxford, and Eric is at Cmoozy, S E A M O O S I. As usual, we are doing this episode live for our Stars of Destiny. And joining us tonight is LJF Teeps, Amy Azixa, Beware the Slimes, Dayrandir, Drew RWX, Duckmeat, Cal L, Ruka, Sardin, Spirus, and Weeblord. Thank you so much for your generous support. We really appreciate it. Lots happening in Acts of the Blood God right now through our Patreon, patreon.com slash bloodgodpod, including a brand new Charlene Dropouts. Nadia, what did you talk about this week? Or this month, I should say. This month, I just went like nuts and decided, you know what, I'm going to start doing uh, favorite music lists. Nuts. So I did my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> I did my fa- top 10 favorite like boss themes in the game. And uh, Victor and Mike contributed to that. And it was a great discussion. And of course, I you know, drop musical cues in there. Poor Mike, though. I forgot that he's not a music person. Like, wait, what? He's, wait, he, how are you? How is anybody not a music person? The way he describes it is like, okay, Final Fantasy fourteen. Whether you play it or not, I think we can all agree it has one of those epic soundtracks ever. Oh, and terrible. he says that music to him, it's either okay, this is good, or it just does not register with him. And to me, it's just like, God, music is like poetry. I can talk about it forever, and he, it rhymes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> that sounds like a really fun episode. I love a good list. Oh, yeah, it's a, it's a great list. You should go ahead and listen to it. I mean, even if you're uh, not really into the game, there's some good selections of music. And we try to keep away from the spoilers. So uh, it, it's still kind of in the yellow zone. So by all means, exercise caution. But you should listen. It's cool. Can you spoil one of the ep- one of the tracks that is on the list? I'm curious. Is it like a remix from the classic Final Fantasy, or is it more of a new thing? You know what? Most of the things I picked were new things. Now that you mention it, mm. but uh, you do get a lot of like instances where they kind of sneak the Final Fantasy theme in there a little mm-hmm. bit to kind of form the backbone of the song. They love to do that for some reason. They love the the Lee motifs in, in they, their oh, composition. Oh, they love Lee motifs. I, I was playing Stormblood the other night and a certain character showed up to uh, help disable a cannon that was particularly problematic. And it was the first time he'd shown up in a while and, and the heavens word theme started stirring as he was doing awesome stuff. And I was just like pounding the table like, yes, yes. 
I know exactly which asshole you're talking about, too. So, yeah, um, there was a lot of music in there from Stormblood because Stormblood has a fantastic soundtrack. Oh, it's so good. And OK, I will give away one because it's a very easy, like non spoilerish one. The song they have for Ultima, the final fight in mm. uh, A Realm Reborn. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I chose that because it has like a one minute and 20 second buildup and then it just drops and it's incredible. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about that song in particular with Mike because it's infamous for being in a dungeon where everybody speeds through it so fast that nobody even listens to the song anymore. Nobody mm-hmm. knows what it sounds like because they're done before it really picks up. So I gave it its tribute. Well, elsewhere on the Patreon, we are picking our next Pantheon pick very soon. Look forward to that. And we're going to have our Valkyrie profile Pantheon of the Blood God episode going up in early April. We also have a March Madness update, 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 folks. We are to the championship, the final two, and they will be revealed. And oh my God, y'all are so predictable. The final from the villains bracket. It's Kefka, everybody's favorite crazy clown. And from the heroes bracket, it's Terra. It's an all Final Fantasy That's six. A finale. very strange matchup. Okay, it should have been Ichiban Kefka. I'm just gonna put I that. I agree. Here. But I am. I, agree. I will settle for Adachi does not make the grand finals <laughs> because y'all sickos were not gonna get him into the grand finals over the clown prince of RPG crimes. All right. <laughs> I'm throwing the table and saying that Adachi represents the banality of evil. Mm-mm, it kind of does. And when you put Ichiban it that way. is the, the greatest hero, the perfect hero. Ichiban is the unquenchable fire, the unquenchable flame. No matter what, he's just does it. He's there. I- Ichiban would sub to Blood God. Ichiban is enough of oh, a yeah. Dragon Quest stand. There's an entire scene in that game where he is at the hot springs with an attractive woman and he's like you know what i've got you seated here let me tell you about dragon quest <laughs> let me tell you why dragon quest is a great video game i hope he's i i, I mean I'm, I'm assuming he got into bed with her that night because who would no, resist that no ichiban's uh, pure ichiban much like kiryu kazuma is a pure being who just wants to play dragon quest and do good things i think kiryu is canonically a virgin I, I don't that remember if they out. ever I wrote confirmed about that. that, but they did but they, like they heavily suggested. imply it. Yeah. 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 Poor Kiryu. Kiryu's got other things on his mind. I can think of at least two characters who are better than Terra for the final finale. Both of them in our own bracket. That would be uh, Harrier Dubois and mm. Ichiban. Both are great characters. So much texture, so much nuance. Terra's not even the most interesting hero in her own video game there. I can think of multiple characters on the final fantasy six cast are way more fun than Terra. She does have a glow up. Like she, I, I said this in our, I, I don't know when we talked about final fantasy six, probably 10,000 times by now, but I do like how she has an arc that's about love, but not like romantic love. It's like her, her taking, finding her, her, her purpose in the world and following it like that kind mm-hmm. of love, not like, oh god i gotta fall in love and make a, a thousand babies she just adopted a thousand babies that's all <laughs> i would have liked to have seen yuna win the big final fantasy protagonist matchup because i do think yuna is a very underrated protagonist and through the course of like 10 and 10 2 has such an incredible arc as a character so 
is what it is. When we do these things, you know, everybody votes. And that's the thing that you learn if you've ever, say, worked at a website that had to put together a top 100 of all time list or something. You learn that, oh, everybody kind of picks their battles. And a lot of the top 10 will be a lot of like very... It's not everybody's, it's not anyone's number one. It's a bunch of like number threes and fours, you know? And that's that's how this stuff always works out. That's how it always shakes out. Well, you can go and vote on the grand finals between Terra and Kafka. I have an idea of who's going to win, but you can shook us so toss in your vote. It's all good. Over on our Discord. And we'll also be posting a link on the Patreon. And it's available to all patrons, the voting is. So let's see who wins. Who, you know, I'm kind of voting for Tara. I'm kind of rooting for I Tara, would like Tara to over win. Kafka. Kafka's great. Mm-hmm. He's fine. He's one of the great villains of all time. But but, but we, we know can... it by now. Yeah. At, the, at a minimum, Tara has a better theme. She's just one of the great That's themes true. in RPG history. So, all right. Let's talk about what we are playing. And we'll start with you. Eric, since you've got some new stuff that you've been playing that's very exciting, perhaps very exciting to the listeners of Acts of the Blood God. Yeah, yeah. I'll put a pin in two things. One that I can talk about in the future, which is going to be Weird West. I think all I can say right now is that I have played parts of that game and there will be more (laughs) about it in the future. Uh, um, It's one of those ones where we got to wait to talk about some stuff, but uh, I am looking forward to discussing that one. And uh, I have obviously been progressing in Stormblood, but the one that I forgot I had played this week, which is not the strongest <laughs> starting foot for this game, is I played some Euden Chronicles Rising, which is the prequel game for the Kickstarter Euden Chronicles 100 Heroes, which is the uh, Suikoden spiritual successor uh, from Rabbit and Bear. And this is... Number one, not a Suikoden type game. It is an action RPG, almost pure in into the vein of a Castlevania type sort of thing, nice. uh, with a heavy emphasis on town building. Um, I will say so. So to kind of lay the groundwork, you, you you start as this protagonist who is on a search on a quest, you know, whatever. the The whole idea is that you you show up to. Uh, this town where there's been some rumblings of monsters and this lens that you're looking for, like a rune lens and you want to go into the mines, but the mayor who has taken over the the actual mayor is missing. And so his daughter has taken over has instituted this like tax basically. And is like, if you want your license, you have to either pay me a ton of money or you, you have the stamp card. And every time you do something for the citizens of the town, you'll get stamped. And once that stamp card is filled, you can venture into the mines. Um, so they, it's a clever little setup for them to you know tell you, hey, go do stuff for, yeah. for people in the town. And eventually you start doing things like bringing back lumber and and stones and stuff from the forest, which is full of monsters uh, and building up these things like a tavern and inn, an apothecary, a weapon shop, that sort of thing. Uh, I dig all that. I think that's actually really, really fun. It's, you know, I, I think there's a, a renaissance of, of town building happening quietly right now. Um, there's been multiple Heroes of Might and Magic imitators that I've seen in the last couple of weeks. And uh, I, I think the feeling of like building a town up in an RPG is a really good feeling. Uh, the action 
is not terrific. It is ah. serviceable. The big get is that uh, once you start bringing in more members, you kind of have them assigned to different face buttons like Valkyrie profile and you want to like link a text together. So you'll do like a hit with the main character, CJ. She's got these pickaxes. She's real fast. And then you hit the other face button at the right time. You'll do a link attack and your kangaroo buddy who has a giant buster sword comes in and slams them with the attack. And then you can hit the other button and another character comes in. That's a really cool system. But overall, it's it's a very bare bones game. It feels very um we made this like like it, it's <laughs> I have a feeling I don't know what their pricing is for it, but I would be surprised if this isn't a $20 video game because it does feel like that tier of probably going to get about 20 hours out of it. You're going to explore. You're going to see like what this world looks like and you're going to meet some of the characters that will eventually be in 100 heroes. That's the other appeal is that you get to meet some of their stars of destiny it's it's fine, but honestly, it was a little bit more appealing. And I wrote this in my preview for Destructoid that like after playing Sifu and Elden Ring and Stranger of Paradise, I so badly needed something like this that was just brain off, like hmm. happy vibes, build town, talk to people. It's a genuinely funny game, which I did not expect. Uh, the main the the main character and the itinerant mayor uh who is this little magical girl who is like really big into like taxation and like paperwork (laughs) and bureaucracy and she keeps like getting you with like catches and stuff like that there's this great bit where she has to do uh you have to sign out all this paperwork and they're going through all like the fines and fees and and like legalese of it and the main character's just like why are you doing this and she's like i want to make this town grow and i'm only going to make it happen by tricking a bunch of y'all and all this stuff i like her she's fun it's it's a good character um I, I think it's just it's pleasant, but I also don't think this is going to be like Curse in the Moon where you get this prequel game that, in my opinion, almost overshadows the game that it was supposed to lead into. I love Curse of the Moon, maybe even like it more than Bloodstained. And this is not one of those. I think this is absolutely just a thing for people who are really hungry to see this world and see how it's coming together to get an idea of some of the characters, the setting, that sort of thing, and 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 get their feet wet before 100 Heroes, which I think is like, they said 2023 is what they're looking at right now, or definitely not this year. So No, certainly not this year. Yeah. The thing I find uh, interesting about Aiden Rising is how different it is from the final Aiden Chronicle game. Because Aiden yeah. Chronicle is basically Suikoden, right? More of a <laughs> traditional <laughs> turn-based party growing game whereas this one is has metroidvania elements yeah it's an action yeah. rpg you're building up a town very different game i mean even curse of the moon yeah it was a castlevania to bloodstains symphony of the night but superficially they had a lot in common i'm curious why they went in this direction honestly yeah and i think part of it is ruka points out in our stars of destiny chat this is not solely developed by rabbit and bear um it it is developed by rabbit and bear and also Natsumi Atari. And so I think this was a case of, they just had an idea. They probably, a lot of people probably looked at bloodstained, which was an incredibly successful Kickstarter and said, let's kind of do some of the things that bloodstained did. Cause that'll work out well for us. And I, I think, you know, action RPG, like short, sweet prequel game to keep people invested. And also like 
if it turns out good, it might get more people who weren't initially in that Kickstarter batch, in that interest batch, but are now playing right. this game to then be like, oh, maybe I want to check out the other thing. I think that's what Curse of Moon probably did a pretty good job of was people played that game. were like, this is a super awesome like Ca- Castlevania 2, 3. I forget which one they introduced the, the switch, switching characters in. But um, yeah, uh, they it probably got a lot of people interested in Bloodstained that weren't already interested in Bloodstained. And it can serve a dual purpose in that way of like keeping backers interested and getting new people in. Not sure that Rising is going to do that. That's interesting that you're so down on it because oh, uh, not, some of the I previous, so the previous that I was reading seemed uh, to be really into it. I'm not down. I just, I, I'm trying to temper expectations, let's say, because I do think there are high expectations for anything coming out of Aiden Chronicle. Uh, people really, I think, are, are hungry for a new Suikoden. And this is not really a Suikoden thing. I think I was really cool on it for the first hour. It was about like a two-hour demo I got. And for the first hour, I was pretty cool on it. And then I started to warm up to it in that second hour and started to see like, okay, it's got some stuff. And this is going to be a good in-between game. It, it, it somehow slots into that same area that Voice of Cards did for me, where it's like, it's not doing anything revolutionary but it is good comfort food and it's it's probably going to be short ish it's going to be something i can finish reasonably it's not going to be monarch what are you expecting from a promo game i mean seriously (laughs) yeah but i think again it's it's important to measure expectations because i did see a lot of people being like oh new aodin chronicle game let's go and i'm like it's it's not the one you're thinking of it's not that one people are hyped for aodin chronicle yeah, yeah, they want they want that Suikoden stuff, but this is not Suikoden. This is action RPG Metroidvania with some of the characters that, to my understanding, will later on also be recruitable in uh, the Suikoden successor. I have not played Aiden Chronicle Risings, but the screenshots and the videos that I saw, they posted like 28 minutes of gameplay over at IGN.com. And I was like, oh, this looks really pretty. The sprite art is totally on the level. If this is an advertisement for the sprite art on Ed and Chronicle, then I'm in. And so I I think in that respect, maybe it's uh, successful. I, and I love the concept of being able to do town building and Nadia, this Mm -hmm. is such a you game because it has a freaking kangaroo with a buster sword. I mean, come on. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I am definitely waiting for it. Uh, I can't remember when the release date is. And I don't remember if the demo was accessible to everyone or if it was just a preview, but, um, yeah. It was a press thing. It was yeah. um this this was uh they've said spring 2022 is what they've said in the past. So we're running out I'm of spring. Soon. So maybe it's soon. <laughs> we're running out of spring. <laughs> yeah, that's what I always like is when we get near the end of a season, everybody who is like sat there and been like, we're aiming for this season suddenly has to go like what are seasons really? You know, we yeah, can push like, that date a little we, bit. We just said spring is almost over. Yes, in the context of video game releases, we're coming into summer pretty soon. Darren Deer makes a good we point. We got a couple in more chat. months. Uh, Darren Deer makes a good point in chat that that is kind of like what I'm trying to stress, which is like for, for people who wanted like Fire Emblem Three Houses 2 and said they're getting three hopes, I'm still excited for three hopes but very much like know what you're going into and don't have expectations for what this thing is going to be. If it's going to be something else, you know, that's, that's kind of what I'm preaching caution on. Otherwise. Yeah. It's, it's a Nadia game. It's a chill game. It's, 
you're going to build a town, a lot of fun town folks. Again, the writing is surprisingly good. Did not expect it to be as endearing as I thought it was going to be. Nadia, what are you playing? Uh, well, I'm still lost in Elden Ring, but I am getting ready to buy uh, that Dale Kirby game. <laughs> and I can't believe I said that because when I first heard King DDD in the anime, I said, what the hell is this accent? But now every time I talk about Kirby, I say that Dale Kirby. How far are you in Elden Ring? I got 90 hours on there and nice. I'm trying to think I'm right now I'm effing around in the underground. Okay. Oh, this, this mm-hmm, game mm-hmm. is like, wow, look at this huge overworld map. Oh my God. There's another one underneath. <laughs> so, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, who did I recently beat? Like, oh, I did beat, uh, Radan, which oh, everyone that's said such was a fun fight. I love everyone that fight. said it was horrible and I loved it. I'm not a fan of I'm that fight. So- I summoned everyone and I'm like, ah, and they were all like, ah, and apparently someone pointed this out. If you summon patches into the fight, if he gets one hit, he takes off. <laughs> he, does, <laughs> he gets a scratch. He, he hits the bricks. He's gone. But no, I, I had a great time with the fight. It's so bombastic and ridiculous. I know it's very anti Soulsborne, and that's why a lot of people I understand have problems with it, but I'm the kind of person who is just like, oh my god, this game lets me summon ghost wolves. Why do I not have ghost wolves with me right now? So I'm not really a typical Soulsborne fan, I guess. But yet, I just love the, the crap out of this game. It's ridiculous how good it is. I mean, it's like Wind Waker level, easily. Maybe the physics aren't really on the on, on par, but it's pretty close. Remind how me dare at some you point. compare this game to Wind Waker? <laughs> how dare you? <laughs> it's... You don't like it? I love Elden Ring. Wind Waker, I mean, I'm it's... a little. Wind Waker, I'm a little more oh, like uh, circumspect Waker. about. <laughs> well, Wind Waker, to be fair, I don't know. Like they're both like they're both incredible games, so they but they both have like very big differences between them. So I think maybe I like exploring the overworld in Elden Ring because unlike Zelda, Elden Ring revolves around what build are you going to give your character. So there's so much stuff to find that lets mm-hmm. you do those builds. And you don't really have as much of that in, in Zelda, but you do have those little tree people who give you poop. I I find that like this breed of open worlds we have, and I've been thinking about it a lot because of a game I've been playing, but I feel like they're weirdly inspired by immersive sims. Like a lot of the things in Breath of the Wild and Elden Ring remind me of immersive sims in different ways. So it's cool to see that like school of thought being put into modern games and and experimented with yeah. in a larger world now that we can make those larger worlds when i was at gdc this past week Elden ring came up a time or two if you can believe that and i said that i was kind of glad to be on the show floor because i felt like i had completely overdosed playing like 30 hours of Elden ring over the past weekend i was just all in but there was a certain point where I started to feel drunk because I was <laughs> focusing so much on it, uh, exploring yeah. all the worlds. Uh, I was I wasn't burning out. I was I just felt like I was completely overdosing on uh. too much of a good thing. But I agree with you, uh, Nadia, that Elden Ring is an amazing game. <laughs> Everybody has said it. I don't think it needs to be said too many more times, but. I, I've explored many places in the world and I'm eager to maybe do a spoiler, more of a spoiler episode a little bit down the line so that we can uh, kind of wrap up Elden Ring properly. 
As for me, as I already mentioned, I was at GDC this past week. I reconnected with a lot of people, uh, went to some fun panels. I went to a really good John Romero panel where he was remembering Wolfenstein 3D. And I learned that Sierra Online almost bought id Software for 100,000, almost bought id Software for $2.5 million in 1992. And the difference was $100,000. Like they they went to John Romero and and John Carmack and them, and said two point five million. They came back and said, "We'll do it, but you have to give us a hundred thousand dollars in advance." And Ken Williams said, "Nah, it's okay." And I was like, "Really? What a what if? Oh my wow. god! Mm-hmm. Over a hundred thousand? Yeah, that's can uh, you imagine that's, that's if strange. that had happened? Yeah, because, completely different world. Yeah, because I mean, if you think about it, Doom." might have still happened. And if Doom had still happened, it would have become absolutely enormous, but it would have been under Sierra Online's banner. Mm-hmm. And you have to wonder, at that point, does Sierra Online become so huge that they never get per- bought out by the company that eventually bought them and killed them? Mm-hmm. Conversely, <laughs> oh, maybe geez. Sierra Online gets bought out and its software dies as a result. There's, I feel like there are so many like different possibilities. It's a great mm-hmm. what if. That is really cool. That's a that's a really nice little tidbit. I love it that we still have an industry where tidbits like that come out. Jew RWX is asking in the chat if I saw Ben Hansen and Ben Hansen from MinMax. And actually, yes, I saw Ben Hansen multiple times. I oh, cool. kept running into him in the press room and elsewhere. And of course, Ben Hansen is my Minnesota cohort. And I uh, I, I wanted to have a chance to have dinner with him, but never got the opportunity hopefully that will uh happen pretty soon maybe when i'm back in minnesota but uh gdc the the vibe was a little bit weird because everybody was kind of reconnecting it was almost like the games industry was emerging back into the sunlight blinking Uh and going oh people oh my god so uh i was there with my coworkers, uh rebecca valentine and matt kim and that's cool yeah i saw i saw rebecca's pictures yeah, I didn't take uh, too many formal meetings, but I, I did go to a Star Wars Squadrons panel. Gosh darn it. Heck yeah. <laughs> you got to stay on brand. That's the most important part. I also played a little bit of Triangle Strategy. Uh, I've been kind of like yes. nibbling away at this game. Uh, I actually did have breakfast with uh, Jason Schreier, and he said oh, cool. two things to me. One, he said that when we do the Aid and Chronicle podcast, he has to be on it. I said, fair enough. Deal. You can be on the Aed and Chronicle pa- uh, podcast. And he also said that he is on his second playthrough of Triangle Strategy right now. And that he's like totally all in on it. And mm-hmm. so I-, I feel the impetus to keep plugging through this, even though I'm very much in the, what was it? The Pro ZD skit where you're skipping through all of the cutscenes. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly like the story in this game. I don't know why yeah. people are like words, 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 la, la, la. Like, it says medieval strategy game. There's ton- of course there's going to yeah. be words and it's it just, like it's the, the story is well enough that I'm not saying it's as good as like tactics or anything but it's keeps my interest and I'm there's always a twist going on. I'm almost finished the first path so I'll probably go back and at least try some of the other uh, directions see where I wind up. Yeah. If I was not playing about 12 other games right now I'd be working on my new game plus golden route run which is next for me and uh, 
over in our triangle strategy thread on the blood god discord people have already been talking about their new game plus runs which the new game plus in this game keeps the difficulty scaling so you loop back around but all the levels keep going up and you keep escalating all the way so uh i'm very excited to uh dip into that and it's such a good battle system it's just an incredible battle system it has a lot of really good quality of life uh tweaks that i think are really important to do from now on for not just uh strategy games but for games in general like being able to press x when someone is talking and seeing their profile that's a game changer for me that's amazing Uh that should be mandatory i to to be clear i don't hate the story of triangle strategy i just don't like text boxes and I know this sounds counterintuitive for somebody mm-hmm. who covers RPGs in general, but whenever I start getting into a situation where I'm reading a lot of text boxes, I start skipping through them pretty quickly. I also thought it was funny when I got to the bit where I chose my route and they said, no, no, you have to go around and convince everybody to go yeah, the route that great. you wanted oh, I to. I love that. It's I love such that. a good mechanic. And I went around and I was like, hey, let's go, uh, go over here. This sounds fun. And they're like, no, we're going to the other place. And I'm like, okay. So, because you didn't do good, your investigations beforehand. Right. You have to investigate yeah. an area, pick up clues, and convince people based on those clues. Uh, no, sure. That's great. That's great. <laughs> sometimes but, sometimes the clues aren't even the silver bullet because they throw it at you and they're they like... Throw, yeah, because yeah, they're assholes. You're Wait, like, ha ha, I've got the clue. Good job. I was just going around trying to persuade people. I don't know. That one, I think you don't have clues for. Or no, you do have them, but you got them in the previous. It's the one where you're deciding whether you want to go to Esfrost or Esfrost. I can't say the name of that. I wanted to go to the the one that wasn't holy. I was like, "Uh, I don't like holiness. You wanted to go to Esfrost over Hyzant. So Mm -hmm. in the previous mission, you would have been able to explore, like walk around talking to people and pick things up off the ground like the, the hobo prince that you are. Uh, that's where if you had talked to some people, they would have told you things about like, oh, you know, this is what's going on in Hyzant. Hyzant has some incredible magic going on. So then later when you're trying to convince people, you can be like your warrior dude. Uh, the tank is like, I want to go to Esfrost because I want to fight all the Esfrost soldiers. All those Hyzant soldiers are weak. You can be like, I don't know, man. I heard they got good mages in Hyzant. It'd be fun to fight a mage, right? You want to punch a wizard, don't you? And he's like, oh, I do want to punch <laughs> a wizard. Who doesn't want to punch a wizard? <laughs> yeah. I, those I like options that. were there. I did talk to people and collect clues like a hobo prince, I guess. But yeah, uh, they, they didn't listen. My party members did not listen to me. They outvoted me, them. so mm-hmm. I guess I'm off to high zans. <laughs> mm. It's a I, funny game. I I like it. Um, yeah, I, I actually really do like the tactical combat. It's very good. And it's really really good. They do a really good job of keeping things moving. I'm gonna say something controversial. Please hate me. Don't hate me. Wow. Um, <laughs> I I'm not sure I like the Octopath Traveler thing just because the character sprites are so blurry on the Nintendo Switch screen. Turn That's- off. Turn off a uh, field of view or depth of field oh, really? in the settings. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah. Yeah. I learned okay. this from people who were playing the demo and then I did it in mine one and the blur goes away completely. That is so it's, weird. Oh, wow. I don't know why that's in there, but that is like the the number one thing everyone will tell you playing this game. Turn off. There's a setting in the menu that's like depth of field or something like that because <laughs> for some reason they wanted to put like bokeh effects on sprites. It's like, no. No, get that out of here. I want clean, crisp sprite work on my screen, on my fancy OLED screen. 
I got to do that because, yeah, I can't see a damn thing. That is what we have been playing, and it's time now for a series of random encounters. First up, in the top stories, apparently, as reported by Bloomberg, PlayStation's Game Pass equivalent could be revealed as early as next week, and early details suggest that it will be uh, the $16 tier will have access to PS1, PS2, PS3, and PSP games, plus extra features like cloud streaming, which is excellent news for retro RPG fans. Will you two be picking up the PlayStation Game Pass equivalent? Yes, uh, but I'm not happy about it. that's what I get, you <laughs> say you won't be happy about it? <laughs> yeah, I think they... If this is if the report from Bloomberg is accurate to what's going to be revealed, I think the whole we're not going to have PlayStation games day one, like the big new releases, is a big whiff. Oh, <laughs> so that is a bit uh, of a that's uh, shoot. That's the kind of risk that Microsoft can take, though, because Microsoft has all the money in the world and they're probably losing a lot of it with the Game Pass. And I don't think Sony wants to do that. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll reluctantly buy it for retro games. And that's about I do it. like that. I, I yeah. I do have to say, though, I kind of miss the era when we used to buy things and own them, but I guess <laughs> I guess that ship has sailed. Tiny Tina Wonderland's reviews are out. It has a 79 on Metacritic. It is at least RPG adjacent. It riffs a lot on RPGs, but it has that Borderlands humor. Not gonna that's lie. the problem. Yeah, I, I think that's a problem. It's not a selling point for mm-hmm. me. Uh, Legend of Zelda's Ocarina of Time's PC port, PC port is complete and available. Mass Effect director Casey Hudson is working on a brand new sci-fi universe. Eric, you're the sci-fi, you're the Mass Effect fan on this panel. What are you thinking about this? Are you excited? I, I'm tentatively excited. I think Casey Hudson represents eras of Bioware that are both very good and very fraught. And so also we're in the era of so many like Bioware people doing their own thing and that's exciting for me because i mean we're not getting new mass effect anytime soon dragon age ain't even out yet so uh like it's i I like the idea that there are studios like archetype and i think humanoid is what the the casey hudson one is called um that that are going to be creating some sci-fi rpgs that have some mass effect in them uh i i'm never going to turn my nose up at that Summer Games Done Quick 2022 will be taking place in person in Minnesota, my homeland. So I'm very more impetus to return back to the old Cat Bailey homeland. Jamie Lee Curtis is cosplaying as a WoW character for her daughter's wedding, which is adorable. And her daughter's trans. And Jamie Lee Curtis has been coming out strongly, be vociferously, mama bearishly behind mm-hmm. her daughter. And I think that's just lovely. And finally... Dragalia Lost is being discontinued. Sorry, yeah. Victor Hunter. Yeah, Victor Hunter, friend of the show, was the voice of the uh, good guy. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Also the bad guy, who was the good guy's twin, apparently. So that's... Uh... Sounds like an RPG, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you only got to pay one voice actor. Good stuff, Nintendo. I think the Nintendo, they just kind of put the switch, so to speak, on all their mobile stuff at once, practically. Like, uh, 
even Mario Kart, it's like, okay, Mario Kart's done. Hey, everyone, these tracks are on Switch now. Go play there. And uh, they were never that invested in a mobile to begin with, but they are absolutely not invested now. So I'm really, it, it is a little bit of disappointment about Dragalia Lost because I know yeah. it didn't have a big fan base, but it had a dedicated one. It did have a lot of people who loved the game. By all accounts, Dragalia Lost was pretty good, honestly, yeah. like in yeah. terms of the single player content in particular. But yeah, because it wasn't attached to an IP, I feel like it never really got a fair shot. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes mm-hmm. Nintendo just takes good IP ideas and lets it lay fallow. Like, I think Dylan, the Armadillo, deserves so much better. I think he's like one of the coolest characters Nintendo's designed in, in ages. And he's in some real weird ass games that nobody played. And I think he's in Smash, like, for as an assist trophy, but that's it. Like, he deserves to be on the Switch, something really cool. As, a, as it happens, Victor Hunter's in the chat right now, and he just said, Oh, hey, I know this game. Victor, your voice is lovely. It is sonorous and delightful, and I love listening to it. <laughs> All right. Our top story, a new Witcher is in development. It's a new saga, not The Witcher 4, as CD Projekt Red is careful to elaborate on, which means no Geralt of Rivia because Geralt's story is complete. We don't have a lot of early information, but we do know that it was built in Unreal Engine 5 in partnership with Epic, which is a pretty big deal, honestly, because CD Projekt has been using its own engine for quite a while. Uh, CD uh, Cyberpunk 2077's DLC will still be built in the Red Engine. Yes, CD, of course it will. CD Projekt Red confirmed that the Lynx medallion in the snow that was part of the teaser image is, in fact, a Lynx, and that is a big deal because supposedly Lambert reformed the cat school into the Lynx school, but I guess this was Fanon. I, I don't Asterisk. know if this is an official story or not, Eric. The Witcher lore sicko is here for you. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is, this was really funny because for a long time, the Lynx school has been a fan school of the Witcher. Uh, basically, you know, it's something that they made up as you know, after the conclusion of, I want to say Witcher 3, um, but basically when, when those main Witchers, they're still alive, uh, kind of split up and go their own ways. Uh, some people came up with some ideas of what could have happened after that. And one of them was that uh, I believe it's Lambert and Kira Metz uh, travel off and create their own school called the School of the Lynx. Uh, so them confirming it's a Lynx medallion in the snow is very interesting because people have pointed out that it could have been School of the Cat which would imply Siri. So maybe they wanted to get away from people going like, oh, it's a Siri game. But uh, with School of the Lynx, I think they have a lot of like avenues open for where they could be taking the story. And this is really interesting because it is taking the story somewhere. Like the Witcher games pick up from the books and is the the continuation of the Witcher canon. So this is forging a new path ahead for whatever Witcher is going to be. We're, we're flying without source material at this point. Well, we're going, we don't need source material. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Speaking of source material, there's been a lot of speculation and or debate about whether Siri could or should be the main character in Witcher 4. And one of the uh, kind of the reasoning against Siri being the main character in Witcher 4 was that she was already too powerful, arguably, by the end of The Witcher 3. So if you put her in Witcher 4, what's she going to grow into? Super Saiyan? I don't know. But Super Saiyan I'm, Siri. I'm curious. Do you two think that Siri should be in The Witcher 4? 
I would say yes, just because I like Siri. I like Siri a lot. I think the reason why I wouldn't want her as a playable protagonist is that as much as I like the playable Siri parts of Witcher 3 a lot, uh, it is, you know, that moment where you get to have the kind of power fantasy of this character that is both as skilled in combat as Geralt is and also has superpowers beyond what Geralt has. So it's it's really cool. Uh, but I like her as kind of this traveling interloper sort of character that's always kind of got her own thing going on the side. And sometimes that is part of the main plot and sometimes that's not. And I think if you want to have a real kind of video game type arc to a character, it would be difficult to do that with Siri for a variety of reasons. Uh, so I'll say I kind of like her to just be in the supporting cast for this one and see a new Witcher rise up. I'm interested in the idea of a completely new Witcher to follow. Uh, and I'd like to see what CD Projekt Red could do with a new Witcher in this world. All I know is I saw they had like whoever was on that poster had a bear tummy in the snow and it looked very cold. Maybe they're into the polar bear thing, like the hot tubs I, I from guess Minnesota. So. Minnesota's coming up <laughs> a lot in this podcast. I wonder why. I am into the idea of being able to create your own Witcher because be cool. I, I, it, the, one of the reasons it took me a while to get into Geralt or get into the Witcher three was that I didn't really like Geralt that much actually. And I didn't really start to dig the game until I got the, the wolf mask and put it over Geralt's face. <laughs> and then, and then yeah. it kind of became my own character, right? I, I did the same thing with my Elden Ring character. I gave him the the Blythe mask there. Yeah, even then, I still don't really like playing as a guy in an RPG. So it took me a lot of effort to get super invested in that character. So I'd be into the idea of being able to create my own character in the Witcher world. And it would kind of make sense, honestly, because you're really beyond the, the source material at this point. You're just playing in the sandbox. So just a character people play their own character prefer possibly in the link school under lambert and you're helping lambert start the school or something like that i'm just worried that the strengths of the witcher are not suited to that sort of fallout three type character where you're you're just someone showing up and doing tasks and helping out and like fallout fallout games in general but especially fallout three can fall into that narrative trap of you're doing things, but everybody else is more important and more interesting than you are. And yeah. one of the strengths of the Witcher games is how, especially two and three, I, I didn't like one very much, but two and three it's Geralt is a character and you're kind of making choices for Geralt that Geralt has to deal with, but Geralt's got his own thing going on. And it, it kind of feels like you're co-piloting with him rather than like doing anonymous character stuff and i think that gives a lot of freedom for them to kind of shape stories for this character and arcs over time and i don't think you're gonna have that if it's a created character i would like to see if they make a created character like this is the character the new protagonist for the witcher moving forward i would like to see it be a female witcher just because we had Geralt for so long and people would probably get mad and be like why isn't it siri but again like i stated my reasons why i don't think we need siri in a starring starring role uh, but I think having a female Witcher would be cool to at least buck off some of the stuff, especially from like Witcher one that were not the best carryovers in terms of tone <laughs> for the Witcher series. Um, I'd, I'd like to see that. I have my issues with Cyberpunk 2077, but I thought it did a surprisingly good job of making the main character feel relevant or 
feel like a character onto themselves. I think the only thing is that whenever you get a character who's specifically created, it's really easy to fall into the power fantasy trap, I think, in an RPG. Uh Another thing that was brought up when Witcher 4 was being discussed was people were at uh, Jason director Jason Slama was trying to recruit people to work on the Witcher 4 and people were responding and saying hey maybe we don't want to go work for CD project because of crunch will there be crunch and Jason Slama said never on my watch mm-hmm. which now people are taking as kind of a promise i didn't really yeah I didn't really see that as J- I didn't really see that as Slama making a promise that there would be never be any crunch because I believe the exact quote was why would I want to go work for CD Projekt when you would be crunching and being work treated like a dog, and so he might have been kind of responding to the I would not treat my my people terribly, but I don't think he was necessarily uh, promising no crunch. I will. I yeah. will. I. We'll drive you into the ground, but I will give you a, a coupon for 30 cents off shake and bake and a pat on the back. Well, I mean, you could probably get a nice buffet. I don't know. I, I think that CD <laughs> Projekt uh, really had, uh, I, I think it was a pretty traumatic moment from Cyberpunk. And maybe this is just me being naive, but maybe maybe they have learned from that experience heading into uh, Witcher 4 because... Boy, they they really let their heads get pretty big from The Witcher Three. Mm, so, well, yeah. look, we we made Witcher Three. We can do anything. And Cyberpunk was a like blue screen of death kind of moment. Yeah, the the nice part is a lot of the people that were higher up there have now moved on to other things, and so I think that's some of the hope too is that maybe with turnover at the top and uh, you know the very public, um, you know the public issue of both their crunch being put on display and cyberpunk really not fully releasing until this year. Uh, I, I, there's definitely maybe a bit more consciousness about we need to have good policies moving forward. And, you know, it's kind of bitter that it's in the tone of like, we should treat them well so they don't tell press that we're treating them bad and create more problems for us. But if that's what it takes to get like good working conditions, then, you know, that's, that's what media pressure is for is, is to, to have that pressure there. So one way or another, I would say that we're not going to see Witcher four for a little bit. And also I would say that there's almost certainly going to be delays because a CD project game has never been able to be released without a delay of some kind Uh, for Mm. context when witcher 3 came out witcher 2 came out in 2011 and witcher 3 finally came out in 2015 after a couple delays as well so i would say that we've probably i think witcher 4 is probably relatively early on in its actual development not the least because i think it was a year or two ago that they were still negotiating the rights to even be able to do this game. Mm-hmm. So they might still be in pre-production. So I wouldn't expect it until like 2025, 2026 at the earliest. So we're going to, we're going to be waiting for a minute. <laughs> Just a little bit. Yeah, for sure. But uh, I, they still got uh, quite a bit of mess to mop up for cyberpunk. So they'll be busy enough. Yeah. They've got DLC on the way for it. Still they're committing to that. I'm still waiting for the next gen update for Witcher 3 so I can finish Blood and Wine. I would like that so, so I can play good. Witcher 3. It's so good. Blood and Wine's so good. 
you were playing on the Switch, Nadia. Are you formally switching over to like Xbox or something? Uh, I'm going to wait till I get the remake because it's not a good game to play on Switch. Mm-hmm. That is true. It is a game you can play on Switch. <laughs> exactly. Especially on the light. It was like, uh, this is kind of blurry. I mm-hmm. think I'll skip mm-hmm. it for now. You, I mean, they did their best. With oh, absolutely. It's Runner. not terrible. They did a surprisingly good job of getting that thing onto the Switch. Last question before we move on. Are y'all excited about Witcher 4 or are you just kind of playing wait and see? I will say that I am excited, as excited as I can possibly be for a Witcher uh, game. I think I would have been more excited pre-Cyberpunk and Uh uh the Cyberpunk experience just tempered my uh, kind of expectations a little bit. But maybe tempered expectations is good for CD Projekt in this case. Oh, absolutely. I am very much a wait and see sort of thing going on. Uh, I'll see how I react to Witcher 3. If I like 3, I'll be like, yay, 4 is coming. Yeah, as as a book reader and game player, I, I'm excited for it. Uh, it it just is like after 2077, there's, there's an asterisk on it. And that's just what it is at this point. As a book reader, Eric, is there anything, any particular material that you want them to explore? I mean... They've, they're covering most of it. Netflix is going into a lot of it too. I, to be to be clear, I've only read two of the books, and I'm working on the next one. Uh, by working, I mean it's on my bookcase of many many books back there. Uh, but I, I would maybe not specific content, but just sort of the approach that they had to the Last Wish, which is kind of like the first Witcher book, uh, which is very anthology approach. Uh, I would like to see a game that just really leans into that. Uh, I think Witcher 3 had that going for the first part of it and then really started to get into the broader uh, stuff going on as it got further in, same as Witcher 2. And I think like a very anthology game could be something that would be really interesting to see, especially like, you know, we've we've had Elden Ring already, which I feel is anthological in nature the way you can just kind of approach each area and it's all its own story you can kind of go where you want to go imagine a witcher game like that that'd be pretty interesting i think so uh that's that's the approach i'd like to see i want to see them get back to like we're just hunting monsters out here you know there's some some bad werewolves and you got to study up on your potions and do your prep and and get in there and and kill it some bad werewolves the bad werewolf mm-hmm. gangs smoking behind the, the school again the bad werewolves as opposed to the good werewolves which we'll talk about next week on blood god beware the slimes said witcher 4 has to be amazing or it'll be bad news for cd project i don't know that i agree with that sentiment because I think that The Witcher is bigger than CD Projekt, mm. not the least because of Netflix, yep, and yep. that it will be a big deal regardless, and that it will sell very, very well, even if it just turns out to be okay. Beyond that, I think that CD Projekt is still a very good and very good, very ambitious developer. It's just that Cyberpunk was too big of a bite, I think. Mm-hmm. And I yeah, don't think definitely. that they will be going as crazy in terms of scope and ambition with Witcher 4 as they did with Cyberpunk, which was, if I'm being totally honest, like five years ahead of its time in terms of graphics technology mm-hmm. and such. Mm-hmm. They won't be building any like neon uh, skyscrapers in, in Witcher 4, so they're already <laughs> at, a, uh, at a benefit there. Well, from the Witcher 4 to a remake of a much, much older adventure, 
Colossal Cave Adventure is getting a 3D remake. And what's especially interesting are the people who are making it, Ken and Roberta Williams, who, if you've been following video games, Ken and Roberta Williams, they dominated PC game development in the 1980s. Ken was the programmer, Roberta was the writer, and they created the King's Quest series. And they were both inspired by, uh, they were both inspired by Colossal Cave to start their actual careers as game developers. Ken and Roberta Williams went away in the 90s. They retired in 1999. And get this, Roberta Williams is apparently a sailing legend. So she, like <laughs> I go. love her already, right? <laughs> She's your mentor. She's my mentor. She, mm-hmm. I was inspired by her video game development prowess, and now I'm inspired by her sailing prowess. But they've like sailed around the world. They're like legends in the sailing community. That's awesome. And they've written books about it, apparently. I love it when people are just in two completely different things, and you have to wonder what the crossover mm-hmm. is, and just if there is any at all. Because it's got to be a tiny bit here and there. You got to have a nerd sailor in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the answer is that they both became millionaires because of uh, what happened with Sierra Online, uh, the sale of Sierra Online back in the day, and they retired, and they just kind of lived their best lives. They've always been about living their best lives, even back when they were still making video games. I mean, their studio, Sierra Online, was because the actual studio was near Yosemite and like mm-hmm. the and that kind of thing. They just kind of seemingly enjoy uh you know those beautiful locations being able to do what they want and lots of respect for them as for colossal cave the reason i'm mentioning it is strictly speaking it's not an rpg it's a text adventure but i think that the role-playing genre owes a major debt Mm -hmm. to colossal cave adventure and adventure certainly the roguelike genre which Mm -hmm. came into being in part because uh, the developers of Rogue had finished Adventure and were like, well, we've solved the game now. We don't have any reason to keep going. So they went and made a procedurally generated game in Rogue. But I have not actually been able to play Colossal Cave Adventure's 3D remake, which is also be in VR. But I'm kind of fascinated by this game, not just Mm -hmm. because of the people who are making it, but because it's like a time capsule, because they Ken Roberta, they have not been playing video games over the right. past 20 years. They're just doing this for fun. This is a passion project. Mm-hmm. So I'm genuinely curious to see if this turns out to be good. And actually kind of, you know what this kind of reminds me? It reminds me of when Shenmue 3 came around and mm. the developers there were just like, yeah, I haven't played in our, I haven't played a video game since, you know, 2000s. now i'm gonna make one and i mean uh i guess how well that went for them it depends on your opinion i'm not a shenmue fan in any case oh it went terribly for shenmue but uh, (laughs) and uh this this fascinates me because i've been thinking about it a lot in the post disco elysium world that we are in that i do think games are starting to look backwards for inspiration in some ways and you know in disco elysium and things i'm excited for this year like citizen sleeper some of that does mean looking to tabletop, looking to early, early influences, looking towards, 
you know, Loop Hero feels very inspired by the PC engine in terms of its graphical design and the way it looks. Same with like World of Horror and things like that. I think a lot of devs are starting to look backwards at these games that had incredible ambition and incredible direction at a time when technology was not anywhere near what we have now. And they're saying, what can we do now that we have the technology and try to chase those same ambitions or or have that same focus of direction that a game like Colossal Cave Adventure does? I think that's really, really cool. Like there's so much stuff to be mined from these. And, and like Colossal Cave is is a game that, I mean, I, a youngin, had to Google some information about this. I was like, <laughs> what game is this? I looked it up. I was like, oh, right, this one. This is one of those ones that you always hear about. Like it's the Elden text, you know, you pull it out from an old <laughs> tome and it's the from the from the back section of the library and, and you have to like undo the bindings and all that. And it's exciting that it's not only just this old project, but it's also these uh two extremely influential people from the early days of game development on it too. Like it just does feel like this perfect synergy of this is what games are about. Like this is we're we're going to hopefully see just like a celebration of the earliest days of gaming and all those like dreams and aspirations that those captured back then. The thing that I like about Colossal Cave is that it's not actually owned by anybody. One of the deals of Colossal Cave is that you can keep making new versions of Colossal Cave, but you're not actually allowed to own it. So it's just been passed down from generation Mm -hmm. to generation being iterated upon by multiple developers. It's I, I, I love the kind of early Wild West kind of style of game development in that regard. Uh-huh. And uh, the 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 imagery I saw of Colossal Cave, it looks pretty neat. It really uh-huh. kind of captures the spirit of the original game with the the twisty paths going in many different directions and whatnot. So I, I just thought it was a fun story, and I wanted to share it with all of y'all. So oh, it's a good story, especially yeah. the the sailor the sailing part. I didn't know that. Reb was the one who got to interview Roberta. By the way, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. I like I was like, oh, I wanted to take that Aww. interview, but she got it first. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she was telling me, Kat, you would have loved Roberta. Holy shit. Like, she's amazing. She's just great. Twisting the knife, pouring lemon and salt onto it. <laughs> Apparently, she's very small, but she's full of, like, great energy. And I'm like, oh, oh this would have been great. I, I love meeting women who made games in the 1980s. It's just, it's a lovely They're some thing. of the most interesting people. Yeah, and it's great to have her back in the industry. And it's great that they're just like, yeah, whatever, let's make video games. You got bored during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So, and Ken Williams also wrote a autobiography uh, where he talked a lot at length about what happened to Sierra Online. And oh. There's some interesting stories. A lot of bitterness there. I bet there would be. Mm-hmm. Pretty fundamental part of video game history. I'd love to get Roberta Williams on Acts of the Blood God. I wonder if she's going to do podcasting. Oh, ask her. This, this sounds like a good idea. This... Hey, Roberta, come on, Axe of the Blood God. I know you're listening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is she? <laughs> Hi. Hi, Roberta. You're one of my heroes. <laughs> I have a good story about being in a recovery room and yelling about you to a recovery nurse. Wait, were you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, it's a story I've probably told before, so pardon if, I, if you hear it again. But uh, I was in 2016. I was in the hospital for, like, major abdominal surgery. 
And I was really, really high from the painkillers. Like they really Mm -hmm. pump you full of it when you have abdominal surgery. So I woke up in the recovery room and I'm very, very happy when I'm drunk or stoned or like sedated or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying to the recovery nurse, hi, I love your hair. And she's like, thank you very much. I, do you like video games? Uh, yeah, actually, I really like King's Quest. Oh, do you know that's by Roberta Williams? A woman made that game. Isn't that really cool? Yeah, that is very cool. So this poor woman just has to entertain me while, I, while I'm just kind of yelling about Roberta Williams. And the, Well, it was, it was better than the time I once woke up from another surgery and two guys were yelling at each other about hockey. So <laughs> at least I wasn't doing that. Our friend Emily St. James, who has appeared on this podcast, she does not play very many video games. Uh, she mostly covers entertainment, but she said, I loved King's Quest back in the day. And she said, the one person I ever want to interview is Roberta Williams. So I was definitely thinking of her when I did not get a chance to interview <laughs> Roberta Williams. Uh, I hope you get your chance, Kat. That would be really cool. It'd be cool if she comes on the show too. And mm-hmm. Rev was like, you should go down to the show floor and see if, like, she's just there. She's just at the booth. So I went down <laughs> to see if she was down at the Colossal Cave uh, kiosk at the Unity booth, but she wasn't there today. So I didn't Aww, get a chance to act. Mr. T wasn't at the store. I mean, it just would have been me being like, hi, I really like your games, and I think you're an inspiration to all women for having Aww. broken into video games in the 1980s. You're amazing. I don't know. I she don't know what else it. I would have said to her. Well, from trying to stalk Roberta Williams at Unity, we have another stalking story, which is certainly a segue. I, I tried. I tried my best. <laughs> Eric, what, what is the story that, about PC Gamer here? Uh, yeah. So for my untitled segment this week, uh, I tried to channel some of Nadia's energy from last week. Oh, that's a deadly old, thing to do. Old stories uh, in games journalism. So there was one going around uh, this last week that was... Um, a magazine PC Gamer ran a competition and the competition, you know, back in the, the crazy old days in magazines, they would do all kinds of weird stuff. PC Gamer said readers try to scare us and whoever scares <laughs> us the most wins. <laughs> That's not like disaster. This started with someone sent in a load of telephoto lens shots of the team leaving the office. Don't know if they won, but they should have. Followed up with someone else who worked in the building at the time. The responses apparently freaked out the whole team. Uh, (laughs) Untold threatening letters clipped from the newspaper headlines. A heart pierced by a bullet hole floating inside a glass jar. A note stuck to a pig head in a box. Um, One person says, I had a death threat in the first week of this (laughs) contest. Um, They had pictures of uh, noted former games journalist, now writer extraordinaire, uh, Kieran Gillen, leaving his house. Holy um, crap. It, yeah, people saying it was 10 times worse than a lot of the stuff you're hearing. Um, but yeah, a, a lot of the the people working on it. The, the pig's head really sounds like it was the, the coup de gras of all of it. But oh, what year was this? This was I, and this was not ultimately uh, I don't know if they put the year up. I'm scrolling back through this uh, this thread of all these so different It sounds so much PC like something that would folks. happen during the 90s and but it was, for, yeah, for games magazines. It was it was the Gillen era of PC Gamer and things like that. It was um, the acid in the coffee pot era. Yeah. And so just... In, That's hilarious. I, I don't want to say it's hilarious, but it's terrible. Uh, 
okay, if this was just happening to them out of maliciousness, I would be concerned. But the fact that they they put up the prompt that said scare us and just said that and look, they did it. Yeah, <laughs> you, I have to admit they did you ask asked for. It. for. <laughs> yeah. yeah like, they were expecting like, you know, what was that that classic scary story collection? The scary stories to tell oh, in scary the dark. Scary stories read in the dark, yeah. Yeah. They were expecting that and instead they got like heart in a glass jar, like <laughs> People want to win this contest. It sounds like Pig's something head. that you would say for uh, for Halloween, honestly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That sounds pretty horrifying. The whole thing is so 90s magazine writing back then. I don't even know how to like process that. Yeah. So that that is Eric's untitled segment is a parable. Be careful what you wish for. <laughs> Be careful what contest. What were they offering? What was this contest offering? I know they didn't. They didn't say what it was. I'm betting it was just so, like a copy of a video game or something, like a signed copy some of some horror game, game. Yeah. This episode's theme is apparently classic PC gaming. So mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. apparently. I've been thinking a lot about it lately. One of the things that will always stick in my memory is the difference between computer gaming world and PC gamer in the '90s was that PC gamer covered doom and quake mm. and made a big deal of them. And apparently computer gaming world had an opportunity, I think to put quake on the cover. And they said, absolutely not. We don't do that. We cover like war games and flight sims and whatnot. And PC gamer said, we'll put quake on the cover. <laughs> <laughs> Hit us up. And God. they did. I mean, that, that was, there was an era of BC gaming where everyone was like, this is a, a platform. We've talked about this in the RPG quests and stuff, but like PC is a platform for, for war games and, and like very serious things and stuff like yes. that. And then Doom came in and just upended the entire system. <laughs> hey, kid, want to shoot some imps? Mm-hmm. To connect it back to an earlier convers- uh, an earlier bit about Sierra Online almost buying its software. Apparently, John Romero showed Ken Williams Doom, or sorry, an early prototype of Wolfenstein 3D because it was in development mm. at the time. And Ken Williams played Wolfenstein 3D for like a few minutes and went, that's cool. You want to see Red oh. Red Baron online? This is much cooler. And John Romero was oh. like, oh, yeah, <laughs> that was just I just showed you the first first person shooter. This game's going to revolutionize gaming. And Ken Williams was like, but flight simulators. Mm-hmm. But Red Baron eh? flight simulators. But planes. Eh? First World War? Planes? I, I'm Props. here for that energy, honestly. That's Snoopy. good energy. <laughs> In fairness, uh, flight sims were big at the time, and Red Baron Online was one of the most popular of them. And they were very excited because Sierra Online was ahead of the game in terms of multiplayer. Mm-hmm. It was one of the mm-hmm. first game studios at that time to actually be doing multiplayer so they were having a multiplayer version of red baron which was pretty rad but i don't think anybody i I don't think they really grasped the moment they're like no no we're we're showing you an important stepping stone in gaming history so yeah that's my energy from gdc well for our next segment we thought hey it's time to do another nip mailbag it's been a minute it'll be a lot of fun let's see what everybody has to ask us and we'll just start with this first question from Kuro Seta since uh you haven't talked about Elden Ring enough on this podcast nope uh Kuro Seta asks what is everybody's build or favorite build for Elden Ring and what is the favorite that you've done across the series I'll start by saying 
that I am the most basic Elden Ring slash Soulsborne player ever. I play with a dark with a great sword. I am using a Zweihander right now with my particular character. I go with a quality build. And it's not because I'm going trying to get the easiest possible build or anything here. It's just because I want to go full berserk and wield a giant yeah. great sword. It yeah. just makes me feel yeah. good. That's the kind of character that I like. I don't do magic builds. I, I don't do ma- I, I don't like being a mad a mage in an RPG, actually. Like the 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 pyrotechnics generally look cool. You can wear a cool velvet dress, maybe have a raven familiar or something like that. But most of the time I would much rather be a lady wearing giant armor and holding a giant sword. Yeah. So that's me. I'm kind of the same way. I I actually have to re-roll my character a bit because I put a little bit too much in my magic because I thought I'd use the dragon powers and I never really do. So uh, I'd rather put those specs back into dexterity because I almost always go for a, a high dex build when I play games and Elden Ring's no exception. I have the twin blade. I absolutely love it. I'm never getting rid of it. I use the twin blade. I use the um, bow. I actually got Red Hand's bow. I have to kind of build up my strength before I can use it though. And I have a mace to like pummel the hell out of anything that uh, gets in my face. And, hey, that rhymes. I have a mace to pummel anything that gets in my face. So that's, I basically want a build for lack of a better term that will let me roll away from danger instead of going clunk the way that you do if you're wearing heavy armor. So I don't really wield any full armor or great swords or anything like that. I am definitely a uh, light armor sort of person. Yeah, uh, I've, I've already told my story about Wolverine Jesus on here and I haven't really played much on the ring past Jesus. that. Uh, so Wolverine Jesus is still my build. Uh, as far as favorite across the series, in Dark Souls 2, I had a character that was essentially Bam Bam because I would strip down to my skivvies and uh, and hold giant clubs and beat people to death with them in PvP. Uh, so that was probably my favorite build was playing Bam Bam in Dark Souls 2. Had a good time with that. <laughs> Dark Souls 2 with Bam Bam. I've mm, been thinking a lot about Dark Souls 2 lately. On the subject of Wolverine Jesus, which, by the way, that has become practically a meme uh, for some people that I know. Um, my partner, who I did not realize ever really listened to Acts of the Blood God, apparently randomly Hi. turned on the podcast the other day and texted me and said, hey, I accidentally turned on your podcast and just kept listening to it because I liked it. Thank you, Emily. I appreciate that. That's nice. And she Hi. said, Wolverine Jesus had me rolling. So there you go. You have <laughs> Emily's approval. I'm just here to share the good word of Logan. You know, it's he's he's come to heal your wounds because that's what he does. He heals his wounds. That's no, his he, superpower. If, if anyone approached Logan for a favor, he'd be like, get away from me, bub. Gene. <laughs> I, I really want to do a samurai build or something like one of the katana builds. In a yeah, those game. look cool. Mm-hmm. But I can't. My problem is, I finished the game and then I'm so exhausted that I'm like, I'm never playing this game again. I've had my moments. Yeah. So it's hard for me to iterate Ooh. and keep experimenting. I would There's maybe wait for the DLC. I'm sure there's going to be DLC, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, w- I would be surprised if there's not some big Artorias of the Abyss or um, Old Hunters style expansion for this. Zelestia asks Since we played Valkyrie Profile this month and Triangle Strategy is out, what are your thoughts on RPGs with multiple endings? How much should different endings differ 
Is there an argument for games where you have to replay the entire story to get different endings, or should we all be able to rewind to specific major story choices? And they don't say this, but I would say that's the the tactics ogre model in other yeah, words. Yeah. I'm curious what you have to think about this, Nadia, since you are the most JRPG E out of everybody <laughs> in this group. Uh I think I am pro multiple endings for the most part. Uh Chrono Trigger was a revelation. Like they called it a game that never ended, which of course is not true. It ended, but uh, all the endings were, well, there were some crap endings, but there were some really brilliant endings in that game that really tied into the characters, tied into little bits of the plot, like the fight between Magus and Frog. That's great. That's a great ending. And uh, there's also just the joke ending. I had never even seen or heard of the con- the concept of a developer's room until Chrono Trigger because the one in Final Fantasy 2 slash 4 was taken out, unfortunately. So getting to walk around and talk to the developers and like looking back, it's kind of dark because they're all like, help, I'm dying because of crunch. But at the time, it was actually really hilarious, especially since Ted Woolsey modified some of the characters to be speaking about sports teams instead of whatever the original Japanese uh, developers had been saying. So that was pretty funny. But generally, I am pro multiple endings. I don't like saying goodbye to games so the idea that even if i don't take those endings there's an option is there for me to go back to it which i never will but the option is there i i like that it gives me a sense of comfort and it's always a good opportunity to explore as i said uh other branching paths other characters you know like and sometimes it works together really really well like chrono trigger being the, the first game that i know of that did that really nailed the formula and then say like fire emblem three houses where you've you have that golden route that you have to take. Uh, I like it when a game can build that up and, and do it well. Obviously, it sucks when it's just like crap endings that don't do anything and are, are just like, hey, look at this gimmick we have. But if you implement them really well, they can add a lot to an RPG story. Yeah, on, on the subject of Three Houses, like I think it's interesting to see how developers have started to approach multiple endings because Three Houses very much was like, no true ending. Like you, You're going to have to pick between these students at some point and there's not going to be some magical save all choice. And I like that a lot. Um, I also dig stuff like near automata where they have fun with some of the endings and, and joke around a bit, but then also use endings as a way to like build on top of the story and create a moving story kind of that you have one kind of ending of not necessarily the whole story, but maybe like a major arc and that's ending a, and then you get to see the flip side and, and now it's ending B. I think there's a lot of really interesting stuff that has been done there in games like 13 Sentinels and stuff like that too. Oh yeah. Um, but there, there are, especially if you go back into the PS2 era, like Final Fantasy 10 2 game that I like a lot has a lot of problems when it comes to uh, multiple endings and the way that you achieve them, because getting 100% in 10 2 is the most maddening thing I've ever seen <laughs> in a video game and no one should actually try to do it. It's just don't just don't, it's not worth like five minutes of Tetis in a cutscene. It's not worth it. <laughs> you give so much of yourself in the process. <laughs> five minutes with Tetis is that bad, eh? Yeah, yeah. Yuna, Yuna, look. I'm not saying you could do better, Yuna, but you can really do better. <laughs> you can move on. I like being able to have my own canon in my head. So in that sense, I don't like the developers telling me what the true ending should be. Though, of course, I love Valkyrie Profile, and I really like the ending in that game, as we'll get to discuss when we get to the Pantheon episode. But actually, it makes me think of when I was playing Fallout New Vegas' DLC, and 
I don't think I was, I don't think that was the quote unquote optimal choice, but I definitely nuked the nuclear death cult because I just disliked them that much. Oh dear. I was just like, no, no, you, you're, I'm tired of all you. I'm going to convince you that you're going, that you need to nuke yourselves because it's time to go to heaven's gate or whatever. And so praise the nuke, praise the nuke. Cause I think they're all living in a nuclear submarine or something. So I, I think the optimal ending is that you get all three factions to make peace or whatever. I'm like, no, these, these people are clearly too dangerous to live. So they probably the morals, shouldn't have their toys. The moral of the story is never trust me with, uh, <laughs> with these kinds of choices. Cause I'll make the terrible one. I'll go with the genocide choice. Apparently. I don't know. I think that if someone's fooling around with nuclear weapons, it might be a good idea to dispose of them before they get a little bit too hot. I think my theory was that, sure, they would make peace in the moment, but these people were clearly fanatics, and they would just take yeah. over and kill everybody anyway. So exactly. I had to do what was right. Thank you. No, yeah. I uh, I feel like I was genuinely helping uh, Far Harbor. So they can they can all thank me uh, for that. Old Man Coco wants to know, if you get a theater rhythm game in the style with all the love and care and attention to detail you could hope for for any rpg series that hasn't yet received one what would you most like to see get the treatment rpg series that have other rhythm games like persona still count if that's your poison so what do you think i would say the chrono games chrono cross chrono trigger mm. you could fill the whole game with that and i'd be I think happy chrono cross could definitely fill be filled with the whole theater rhythm kind of serious oh easy easy mm-hmm. i think i do near and dragon guard like that continuum uh like especially near by itself near near automata could do it but add in some dragon guard stuff too because that's kind of the appeal of theater rhythm is that you get all these combinations of different characters and stuff um and, and i i would want that whole continuum in there just get it all in there when the game was first announced, uh, Final Fantasy Theater Rhythm, first of all, everyone said, what the hell is that name? Second of all, a friend of mine, when they saw uh, the demo or the, the commercial at the time had Waltz for the Moon and the uh, uh, the FMV going in the background for that. And my friend was just so disillusioned with this whole idea. They were like, I hope that you can slip and like, uh, and, and what's her name's heel goes through Squall's eye. That would be really great. <laughs> But no, you could never do anything like that in theater rhythm, which is a bit of a shame, but it would have been pretty good. LJF Teeps has the best idea in the chat. Are you ready? Yes. Ease. Ease would be, a, be oh, good. Man. Ease, ease like fun. if you try to do Ease 8 opening theme, like uh, Sunshine Coastline, though, you like burn up your, your uh, 3DS just trying to do it, or your Switch, rather. I would buy the hell out of an Ease theater rhythm game, much more so than a Dragon Quest game, because... Dragon Quest has some good music, but it tends to be a little stiff, a little sedate. Yeah. Sorry. Don't hate me, theater Dragon Quest fans. I'm sorry. It can be really nice at times. but No, the, the thing with Dragon Quest music, even putting aside the horrible politics of its composer, even without that, I would say there is a reason why later games remix the old music so much, especially from Dragon Quest 3, because Dragon Quest 3 was the peak of it, I think. Maybe 8. 8 has some great, great tunes, but... Uh, 11 certainly wasn't it, <laughs> much as I love 11. So this one isn't in the mailbox, and actually it wasn't submitted to the mailbag, but I saw it in the Discord, and I wanted to read it. So sorry if it seems like I'm calling you out, Fequinox. 
They said, I will say I disagree with Kat's take that these experimental games referring to Stranger of Paradise Final Fantasy are disrespectful to the fantasies uh, to the franchises, especially when her favorite Final Fantasy was the first one to break established staples of the series. We're seeing a square renaissance. They never actually went anywhere. This is exactly what we always wanted Square to do again. We've been talking about it for years, that era from around 1995 to 2002 of outstanding output, oddities of varying quantity, quality, and reinventing series. This is that in a new generation. And I feel like Final Fantasy XIV's earnings and fan base has driven them the crazy idea to listen to the fans, and they realize that fans loved the old Square. Square is firing on all cylinders right now, and I love it. Good, bad, ugly, it's just fun to see them returning to what made us all fall in love with them to begin with. It wasn't about consistency then, and it isn't now. It's about making great games and experimenting in between. Games like Legend of Mana, Chrono Cross, and FF8 all eschewed the design philosophies of their predecessors to varying degrees of success. But those games are beloved by a lot of people. I think what Square Enix is doing is fantastic. And even with more misses and hits, we're seeing a AAA dev creating indie-flavored games with a bag of money to throw at them. I just, I thought that was a really interesting take. It was a very strong take. And I know some of y'all agree with it because I see a couple of, a, a few 100 emojis and pointy emojis. So I, I think the Discord was getting behind Fequinox. Nadia and Eric, I want to know what your take is. I'm laughing because mailbag quickly turned into mailbag colon cat heard you were talking some shit in the Discord. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I, I actually, I agree. Uh, I'm maybe a little bit not as keen to just be like, oh, they're firing on all cylinders. They're kind of just firing like Yosemite Sam into the air after he <laughs> steps on something. And like, yeah, sometimes he's going to hit a bird and sometimes he's going to have that bullet bounce back and hit his own foot again. And that's kind of what Square feels like right now. And I, I do agree with the sentiment that when Square gets weird, Square can sometimes stumble upon greatness in the same way that when Nintendo gets weird, Nintendo usually comes out with something that's at least interesting. And that's how you get things, you know, like Mario strikers and Pikmin and Splatoon is you you get a little weird, but um, it's also worth noting that this is square taking kind of measured approaches. You know, final fantasy stranger paradise is a Neo game with a final fantasy sheen over it. So I'm, I'm curious, like I I think the square that's taking experiments that's more exciting for me is the dungeon encounter stuff and the voice of card stuff, which is in, in partnership with some other stuff, but um, even triangle strategy feels like them trying some interesting things. uh, Whereas honestly, the ones, the shots they're taking with their franchises, they're like established franchises are the ones that have me a little bit more uh, grimace facing <laughs> like that Valkyrie Elysium. So I don't know. That's, that's my take is that Square Enix is Yosemite Sam. I feel like Square Enix is three children stacked on trench coat. I just have no idea what they're doing. I don't think they have any idea what they're doing outside of Final Fantasy 14 business because I, sometimes I sit and I, I ponder the, in the air and I stare and I think to myself, 
the quiet man got published the quiet man oh, went from some man. concept on a piece of paper to whatever it wound up being and square enix said oh yeah yeah sure the whole way and i'm not even saying that like oh the quiet man was some piece of garbage which it was it's just such an odd idea that they greenlit and while i am glad that they greenlit such a, a weird strange idea they didn't think to make the game good and that be stuff like that becomes a problem like uh, i've heard mixed things about strangers of paradise and uh, it is the one of the worst selling games square has had in a while apparently so uh, take that for what you will in terms of where their experimentation is going to go from here on out they're doing i think that square is a very decentralized company they really and are the company the the franchises that have the strongest direction like say dragon quest are the ones that are the most successful so we're getting the stuff that we like from yuji hori what's by the way yuji hori got a a lifetime achievement award during gdc oh, and that was really nice that's nice though they were playing the dragon quest music the entire time during the acceptance speech which was um interesting but I, <laughs> yes, quite. So Nomura like has taken over Final Fantasy. Uh, when you know, really should be Yoshi P, who's taking over. Uh, well, he's doing Final sixteen, Fantasy. so he is. Yeah, that's something. Yeah. We'll see how that turns out. I hope it turns out well. I'm Me excited too. For I'm looking it. forward to it. I think for better or worse, like Square still is measured by the success or failure of Final Fantasy in a lot of respects. And while mm -hmm. fourteen and Final Fantasy seven remake are both very very popular very successful rpgs people are, maybe are wondering like well how's how's, how's final fantasy 16 gonna oh, be absolutely doing? what have you done for me lately square let's <laughs> Pretty see much. but thank you for the really thoughtful comment uh Fekmanox. i wasn't trying to call you out i was just i thought it was a really interesting uh pushback against what i was saying during the stranger of paradise review episode so i wanted to highlight it and get your thoughts okay we're running out of time we're going to read some more questions in the mailbag for the post-show, so stick around for that. I'm looking forward to that, especially you, Ruka, because I'm going to read your your question there. Okay. Oh, God. <laughs> it's time now for That's the Top threat. 25 RPG Remake 2022 Intergrade. Yes, this is a segment in which we nominate RPGs to go on our list where we are remaking the Top 25 RPGs of all time. The community gets to nominate an RPG, too. We've added a lot of RPGs to the list. We're going to be adding quite a few more and i'll start this week it's time to put this one on the list we haven't done this one yet because on the original top 25 rpgs we had divinity original sin and the reason i did that at the time was that divinity original sin 2 felt too new and i was like why are we doing this why are we putting this game on here divinity original sin was really great generally i was kind of focusing on the kind of the originals but Let's be real. Divinity Original Sin 2 bettered Divinity Original Sin in every single way. It added so much to that game. It's a definitive one. There's no real reason to go back to the original Divinity Original Sin. Divinity Original Sin 2 felt iterative in so many ways, and it's still very well remembered. And it's the game that propelled Larian to a lot of fame, to becoming one of the most major RPG studios in the business today. So y'all, I nominate Divinity Original Sin 2 for the top 25 list so that we can swap out Divinity Original Sin. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's fair yeah. enough. Sound reasoning. Yeah. 
Yeah, we did it. We did it, everybody. Good Just job. Immediately take DOS one off. World there. peace. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> so boop. <laughs> Nadia, how about you? Uh, since Eric stole Final Fantasy XIV from me, I'm stealing Elden Ring from everyone. So I nominate Elden Ring because, well, I went on about it already for today, I think, enough. And uh, those reasons still stand. I am just... I, I never expected to get into this game as much as I did. I thought, like, okay, well, it's an open-world game. I'm going to fart around for a bit. I'm going to put it down. It'll be good stuff. All done. No, I just keep on going and going, and I'm, like, stuck in the middle of, of Ronnie's quest, which is a whole, like, practically a game-encompassing side quest, which is just like absolutely like heartbreaking in so many ways and from soft i think in all of their games even the ones i don't like as much they're so good at visual storytelling and their voice acting is always always top tier and that counts for so much when you have a game that, that has so little of the story spoken to you there's never an instance where i i kind of like laugh because someone slipped and you know maybe it didn't deliver the line of strongly as strongly as they could have they're always perfect and that is really really important and i just everything about the game is just so like i i don't want to say polished because it kind of has those rough edges that also make it uh, uh kind of appealing i don't know it's i i can't really defend the game anymore than i have already i i love bloodborne and i love elden ring and i love bloodborne and elden ring for different reasons I think between the two, Elden Ring feels much more like a classic RPG, whereas yeah. Bloodborne verges more into survival horror territory a lot of the time. You should go listen to our Pantheon of the Blood God episode about Bloodborne, by the way. That's a but good episode. You should. I think Elden Ring connects back to the very heart and roots of the genre from Colossal Cave Adventure spraying Elden Ring in so many ways. It's so open-ended. It is the definitive dungeon crawler in an open world setting. Just guy with a sword or girl with a sword roaming the world on their horse, fighting a giant dragon. I was fighting a giant, one of the giant dragons. And just for a moment, I thought, I thought to myself, if I could just show this to somebody from the 1980s <laughs> playing <laughs> wizardry or something. Oh my God. I'm riding on a horse in a swamp that's like as big as a, a world map by itself, practically sticking a twin blade up its grundle and it works. It's dying. And it's like, I kill this dragon by sticking a, a stick up its butt. That's really cool. And this is like, I know that Soulsborne is like, Hey, this is a, uh, you know, you, you gotta be skilled. You gotta be hard. You gotta be good. You gotta get good. And it's like, Hey, I just, I just stuck a thing up a dragon's ass. What are you going to do about it? It's dead. You can't do anything. I did it Working. my way. We just lost our clean rating on Apple Podcasts. <laughs> oh, only just we never now. had one. Only just now, yeah. <laughs> uh, only just only the second. Yeah, not to say too much more, but I do think that like where people wax poetically about from soft's ability to build a world that tells a story, I do feel like Elden Ring is a world that feels more alive, whereas previously a lot of FromSoft games have been kind of about picking through the bones of a civilization. Uh Elden Ring feels like you are in the middle of the collapse. Like you are yeah. watching as a lot of stuff has already unfolded and is continuing to unfold. I think that's why it's grabbing me a little bit more because as much as I like reading about, you know, here lies Ozymandias in, you know, Dark Souls <laughs> 1, uh, I like being able to stab Ozymandias in Elden Ring and be the one putting him in the ground. <laughs> so, uh yeah, it's it's a really incredible game that I do even though it is a fairly recent game, I think it merits discussion at the very least. 
Eric, what's your pick? I I know I'm a youngin. I know that I tend to bring the more modern games. I tend to bring the newer games. I had to plumb the depths of my nostalgic heart this week for a game that was actually being talked about in the Discord pretty recently. And I was like, did I post somewhere that I was going to say this? Uh, Lunar Silver Star Story. Ah, uh, beauty. One mm. that I v- remember very, very fondly as as a kid growing up was kind of one of my first uh, times seeing an RPG in action. And there's... It's interesting because the thing that was pointed out in the chat today was how resplendent the the boxes were for for Lunar. Yes. Like you saw the Lunar box and you're like, yes, yes, I want to play this. This looks awesome. This looks great. Uh, And there's something about Lunar that even though I do feel it, you know, maybe isn't. It has the first one, especially has a really cool tactical, not tactical, but like battle system that I think is is interesting and fun. But it's not the most sweeping epic narrative. It's it's a fairly, you know, by the numbers story, all things considered. I think the characters are very endearing. I think the production levels are what really puts it over, though. It was just it's got gorgeous art. It's got incredible levels of like we're going to do these anime fmv cutscenes yes. in, in lunar that are going to just look so cool and bring this world to life in a way that just captures your imagination and and yeah there's only like maybe what like 20 of them in the whole game but when they pop up you're like oh oh things are happening and you can go rewatch those right now which i've done recently and they hold up they're still cool yeah, and they're still there i yeah there's I think there's great music in it. I th- the production really is what put Lu- puts Lunar over for me and makes it such a nostalgic thing and why I want a new way to play that today because I do think that while it will fall short by some modern standards, there's just nothing else that was doing things as big and grand as Lunar felt at the time. And it's such it was such an interesting way to kind of be introduced to the genre of just like, here's this game that dreams these possibilities of where you know, RPGs and games could go. So Lunar holds a special place in my heart for that. Uh, And I picked Silver Star Story over Eternal Blue, both because I like the characters of Silver Star a little bit more. Uh, I don't think Lunar 2 stuck with me in the same way. Uh, And also because Silver Star was like the first time I really saw any of that stuff. And all those images of those those characters of Galeon and stuff like that are just so burned into my brain. I, I love it. Wasn't there a character in Lunar called Zophar in one of the games? Zophar. Um, was that was that two? I don't know. That might have been. Two. I, I just mention it because back in the there's Zophar's domain, which is still around. It like has a whole bunch of patches and stuff for games. If you ever want a, a patch for a ROM, they have it. But the fact that it's old enough to be called Zophar's domain and it looks totally one point one point oh. Like I don't know if it's still up, but at the time it did, and yeah, it was, it was pretty incredible. So I just love like relics that survive like that because they were from a time when as you mm-hmm. say eric people were playing lunar like god that was the reason to have i know silver star story was p was the playstation but the original lunar was the reason to have a, a sega cd back in the day mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh it, it wasn't exactly impressive by today's standards but as you say those like those really stiff 16 color fmvs holy crap they were something <laughs> else in the 90s rpgs have this ability you know, when done at like the highest production level to just feel like this Titanic thing, you know, seven remake was the most like recent thing I can think of that was like that, where it's like, this game is just 
so over the top in everything it does and so like there's so much love put into this to put on the biggest grandest adventure possible and that it stirs your heart you know it gets you excited to set out on adventure and and lunar is is one of the ones i think really captures that spirit well based on the chat eric your choice is the most popular the lunar sickos are here you've won the discord on this day we haven't done the community pick yet. I, we haven't. I think the community pick is a good one. Yes, this week's community pick is from the Manch Dynasty. It's Shadowrun for the Sega Genesis, specifically the Sega Genesis one. When Shadowrun was released in 1994, open world gaming was neither the marketing buzzword nor the AAA development albatross that it is today. A few PC games had tried it, but it was quite rare in the console space at the time. The game is remarkably open-ended, You can then use your skills to approach your goals in unique ways. Want to use your Decker skills to crash that security system before breaking into that Yakuza building, finding a nearby terminal, jack in, navigate the matrix, and crash the security system before breaking in. You'll discover strange new secrets and side quests. Sometimes a piece of data uncovered in a stray data haven will lead to an entirely new quest line. The game's atmosphere and quest structure influence late open-ended RPGs like Cyberpunk 2077. It even predated the sort of open-ended questing that Deus Ex would make its trademark by seven years. It's worthy of a spot on the top 25 chummers. I never played this one. Either. I I know there's, the as they said, the Super Nintendo version to Sega Genesis versions are very different. I remember hearing... I always thought the SNES version was a stronger one, but I don't know. I guess it depends on uh, opinion. It is, as uh, Manch Dynasty points out, like a forerunner of the immersive sim approach and definitely the sort of thing that uh, I love the sub game that you could do uh, for hacking. It's It was another one of those things that felt very ahead of its time. Uh, and I think you see a lot of that in the more recent Shadowrun games that have come out for PC uh, like uh, Shadowrun Hong Kong that are honestly hidden gems in, in a way and, and ones that I've wanted to go back to and revisit for some time. Uh, just incredibly inventive uh, ways of approaching this uh, cyberpunk world and, and really having it feel open and approachable that Deus Ex, which is on our top 25, uh, also did very, very well. If you don't mind me disagreeing just, just a little bit, um, I think that Maybe from a console standpoint, Shadowrun uh, was a bit more of a forerunner, but I think that games like Ultima and such were definitely doing that kind of thing back in the 1980s on PC, but uh, maybe just quibbling a tiny bit, but I won't disagree that Shadowrun uh, is certainly worthy of discussion, if only because the tabletop game is an all-timer. And people still remember the Sega Genesis version. People still remember Shadowrun, uh, fondly to this day. Maybe we'll even do a, a, a Pantheon of the Blood God episode about it. Okay. We're getting close to the end of, ep- of the episode. Nadia, take us home. Okay, my... My story today is, well, it might be quite short or it might be quite long, depending on how things go here. So 
I was thinking about how when I was in school, they would give you those notebooks. They would give you notebooks that were supposed to last you till the end of the year. Like you have a math notebook, one for English, just like a, the French word is cahier, because that's what I think of it as to this day. I used to take those at the end of the year and those would out, those are what I would write my passwords in for, uh, like I have a whole book for like Castlevania passwords and, you know, Mega Man passwords and all that really cool stuff. And I thought that was like, always a warm image of childhood gaming is having the console there on the floor my parents big ass wooden panel television from the 80s and my half full math book full of like struggling equations and castlevania passwords now i bring this up because i have come to learn recently that i might be completely wrong about this someone is probably like just talking out their ass in America, do you not get those notebooks? Do you not get those, like, notebooks to specifically write in? And they have, like, I don't know, like a picture of the, the map of the world on the front of them. And, you know, that's what you put your answers in. That's what you hand to the teacher at the end of the class. Is that not? Do you not oh, have those? No. No, not really. I mean, usually, I had notebooks. <laughs> yeah, usually the notebooks were, like, we had to go out and buy notebooks. And they would just be, like, the... um like kind of the standard memo pad side not memo pad but like what's the word i'm looking for here y'all help me out it's uh standard eight by eight by eleven yeah yeah they're like kind of smaller and they have that like black binding down the side and always had that weird kind of textured front for the cover um yeah you'd kind of have one for each of your subjects and you'd write on them okay so you actually had exercise books okay vic is is posting these in vic is posting these in chat and i'm looking at these so there's just like workbooks. I did not see many of these until honestly college. And then in college they started doing that stuff where you would have like here is your predetermined like you need to have finished by this page of X date and turn it in for completion and things like that. But we didn't have that in high school. Really? Cuz we I had it like as far back as elementary school cuz that's what the age I was when I was playing Nintendo and I was uh you know just using my my math books to write passwords in, but we didn't have to pay for them. We'd get one. Uh, I'm guessing that wasn't the case in the States. Yes. Yes. Teeps is exactly what I'm talking about. Like that almost exact thing. It was like centered. It wasn't like right hand justified, but yes, exactly that. Uh, we had to buy those though, because the American school system. <laughs> uh, that's kind of sad. Um, I'm not going to, I'm not going to rub that in or anything. Cause I think those kinds of failings are not the failings of Americans, but rather the whole damn country just fails yeah, kids and stuff like that it's the it's government your, and the, and the it's school not system their and fault. all that we want to talk about betsy devos we can talk about betsy devos but the question that lingers is what did you write your passwords in what did uh, i what did i write my passwords in oh my gosh i was Holy. past the age of password gaming for the yeah you part. were you were a saving I, kid Get i did here. i did have some for Mega Man because one of my first game boy games was Mega Man, and so some of those I had to remember. And I think I had like a notebook. The stuff I actually had a notebook for, uh, was cheat codes for Starcraft and, and age of empires Two. We would write them down in the notebook. So we knew that like power overwhelming, there is no cow level, um, operation seawall, like all, all the different, um, like cheat codes that you would enter in. So you could just, blitz your way through starcraft campaigns or we would do the fights in aoe2 where you would make the custom special units like the secret units and then charge like 50 of those cadillacs with machine guns at each other and stuff um 
that that was more my stuff. And then I got into the business of printing game facts guides out. And oh, that God. was RIP your toner. I once I once sold. This is getting into the weird era for Eric. Uh, I once sold printed screenshots of Dragon Ball GT to children for money when I myself was a child <laughs> because my dad had a color printer and I kept printing images of like GT Goku and selling it to kids who were just thirsty for any GT content because we weren't getting GT in, in Tsunami. We were still on the Boo Saga. We were just barely in the Boo Saga and they were like, there's there's one overseas. And I was like, yeah. So I was printing it out and handing it out to the kids for like a quarter each. And my dad was like, <laughs> where'd all the color go in the color printer? And I was like, I don't know. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> A quarter, yeah. Come on, so I could go spend it, man. You gotta pay. So I could go spend it at the school store. I needed to go spend it at the school store to get cool new erasers and stuff and new pens, so I could make more erasers. So I could make more of my Chocobo comics because I also sold Chocobo comics that I drew myself. (laughs) As usual, Eric took over Nadia's nostalgia pit. Yeah, finally, I'm taking over. I'm just curious about this Chocobo comic because I know uh, I have a really good friend who drew a comic about Hojobo, who's Hojobo, Hojo is a, a Chocobo, and it was really terrifying. But that sounds um, pretty cool. When when I was a kid, uh, one of my first PlayStation games was Chocobo Racing, and then I later got Chocobo Mystery Dungeon. And so I, even before I was a Final Fantasy fan, I was a Chocobo fan. Like I loved that little dude with his rocket skates and stuff. Yeah. And so I made these comics about him venturing around with his Moogle friend and stuff and fighting other Final Fantasy monsters before I had no comprehension of what Final Fantasy was. I just knew all these different monsters and that they all like like to hang out and fight each other. And so I drew these comics of them and tried to sell those along with my bootleg Dragon Ball screenshots. <laughs> I mean, if you really want to, I won't I won't make this R-rated, even though it really could be. My first instance of seeing uh, internet cartoon porn was when someone, someone was went, to the, school. went to the school lab. <laughs> mm-hmm. We were in grade 10. We had Our school was specially selected to get the internet because we were a school full of nerds. And someone printed out a, print, a picture. I'll just say it was Aladdin and Jasmine. That's all I'll say. And they passed it around science class. And that was early, the earliest example I could think of of internet cartoon porn so uh now, now there's an I, I i started out thinking Nadia says this pit's nook. mine now you're not taking it from me <laughs> now it's a pit so yeah i just look back on that saying that was really fascinating that that happened to me that i was part of that revelation that revolution i you mean could, it all was downhill was, from there but it was really it was really interesting and uh oh actually cat you might have used the backs of instruction booklets because that's what those were there for Wow, this oh. careened rapidly into pit territory, I gotta say. Yeah, yeah. Right absolutely. into the pit. <laughs> I definitely used a spiral brown notebook for my uh for my passwords. I know because when I was in college, I was still using the back of my notebooks uh to write down E V training. Uh I would be actually <laughs> marking off the monsters oh. that I was killing uh manually. And then later, much later, when I actually was able to check my E V training on Pokemon Sword and Shield, I realized that actually I had done it completely wrong and that the stats were <laughs> messed up this entire time oh, no. after all these years. But that's okay, because they're all perfect now because in Pokemon Sword and Shield, you can just... You can do, you can do whatever you want now. Yeah, do it all. Do it all. And that's it for this week's episode of Axe of the Blood God. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. 
we will be heading straight on to the post show, which you can access if you are in our Stars of Destiny tier. That's over on patreon.com slash Pod. If you enjoy the show, please listen and review us on the podcatcher of your choice. And also you can follow me on Twitter at the underscore catbot. Nadia is at Nadia Oxford. And Eric is at Simusi. We're heading toward the end of the month, which means that we have a lot of stuff coming up, including our Pantheon of the Blood God episode for Valkyrie Profile. We're also going to PAX East next week, or next month, I should say. Oh, God. God. I hope we're not going next week. <laughs> oh, oh, dear. <laughs> we're about, we're <sighs> almost exactly one month away from our yeah. PAX East trip, where we'll be doing a meetup with all of you Blood Godians, Blood God disciples. And we'll be talking about the state of Final Fantasy. We're going to have Jeremy Parrish on the panel. It's going to be a lot of fun. We'll probably have to drag in Ash Paulson as well, because I know that Uh he'll be there at the show. We will be back next week, as always, to talk more RPGs, the genre that we love. But until then, for Nadia, Eric, myself, thanks so much for listening, and happy adventuring. Well, folks, let's keep going and talk. Mm. Sorry. Nadia, you can edit that. Oh, can I? Live show people. Oh, God, no.